welcome to today's episode. I will be reading Neville Goddard's lecture, and it is titled, Order Your Conversations Aright. And this is a rather long lecture, so I will be recording it in two parts. And this is part one of two of Neville Goddard's lecture, Order Your Conversations Aright. Neville tells his audience, Tonight's subject is order your conversations aright. As we are told in the 50th Psalm, to him that ordereth his conversation aright will I show the salvation of God. Psalm 50, 23, King James Version. Have we any instructions in Scripture concerning how we order our conversations aright? We do have it in a fourth chapter of Ephesians. We are told, Put off your old nature, which belongs to your former conversations, and put on the new nature. Ephesians 4.22-24, Revised Standard Version. Except for the word conversations, which occurs only in the King James Bible, or in the King James Version. If the old nature belongs to the former conversations, then the new nature has to have new conversations. Put on the new nature created after the image of God, Ephesians 4.24, Revised Standard Version. Well now, what is this nature? Nature is that principle upon which we depend for sameness of form in transmitted life. If my conversations determine the things that I project themselves upon the screen of space in my world until I change my conversations, I cannot change the forms. For that is the principle upon which man depends for the sameness of forms in transmitted life. If these forms that come out, good, bad, and indifferent, are the results of my conversations, then I must change my conversations. We are told in the ancient book, a book written in the first century, I have translated by Walter Scott. It is called the Hermetica. And in it, it is said, God has given two gifts to man alone, and to no other mortal creature. These gifts are mind and speech, and these gifts, if used rightly, will differ in nothing from the immortals. Now when man takes off the body, when he quits the body, they will be his guides, and by them he will be led into the troop of the gods, and into the souls of those who attain the bliss. Only to man is the gift given of mind and speech. Now I could tell you the story of how easy it is to do. But in the doing, may I tell you, it really is difficult. You will think, why certainly I can change my conversations, and then remain faithful to the change. But we are such creatures of habit. So Shakespeare could say, in The Merchant of Venice, where he put the words into the mouth of Portia. If to do were as easy as to know what were good to do, then chapels had been churches, and poor men's cottages princes' palaces. It is a good divine that follows his own instructions. I can easier teach twenty what were good to be done than to be one of the twenty to follow mine own teaching. Act 1, Scene 2 so it's simple on the surface, but in practice it is not as simple as it appears to be. But if man could only take an inner conversation and control it, 
a conversation which implies the fulfillment of his dream, and remain faithful to the inner conversation, this inner dialogue, a controlled inner dialogue, possibly could be the most fruitful conversation in your life. Man talks all day long inwardly. He may restrain the impulse to say it outwardly. He may feel like saying it, but he has cultivated. He is an educated person. He feels himself under restraint. He might feel like telling you to go to the devil, but he restrains the impulse to say it audibly. But he has said it. It was born with the impulse. If I could only now take my objective in this world and dare to assume that I've achieved it, and then carry on conversations, inner conversations, from the premise of that assumption, I should put this to the test and prove it. Would it really achieve a change of form in my world? I am telling you, from my own experience, it does. It absolutely does. As we are told in Isaiah, the 55th chapter, And the word that goes forth from my mouth shall not return unto me void. It must accomplish that which I purpose, and prosper in the thing for which I sent. Isaiah 55, 11. But you will say, this is the Lord speaking, and certainly the Lord can do that. Well, now let me quote the last words of David, as said in the 23rd chapter of Second Samuel. And these are the last words of David. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, his word upon my tongue. Second Samuel 23.2 The Spirit of the Lord, he never had that revelation until that moment. He realizes now that all along everything on his tongue was the Lord speaking. The Lord speaks by me and his word is upon my tongue. Second Samuel 23.2 The word Lord, as we are told you earlier in this series, if it in any way conveys the sense of an external something, external to your own being, you have the wrong Lord. If the words, Jesus Christ, convey the sense of an existent, something outside of man, you have the wrong Jesus Christ. For Jesus Christ is in us, and if he is in us, and by him all things are made, and without him was not anything made that is made, and he is called the Word of God. And you understand that the very word was created by the word of God. And David tells us that God is upon his tongue. The very word of God is, is upon his tongue. Then we are told, I am the Lord. There is no other God. Beside me there is no God. Isaiah 45, 5. Is it true? Well, you and I are called upon to put it to the test. Can I actually now, this very moment, construct a simple conversation, which, if it is true, will involve that I realize my objective. Can I then be faithful to that conversation, or will I wander from it? Well, I'm telling you, it's very difficult. It seems so simple. I certainly could take a little conversation between a friend and myself in a dialogue and tell him that all things are as I would like them to be, that I have this goal and that goal, and do you realize I have realized it? It all came so simply and so naturally. It all fell into place. Could you really believe that? Well, the thing is to try. See how long you can carry on that conversation without wandering away. I've tried it over and over. Every time that I am successful in keeping it to where I demand in words, 
but again to quote Shakespeare. It is a great virtue, and the one who can do it, it is a noble virtue, to follow your own instruction. So I can teach you, it is easy, far easier, to teach twenty that were good to be done, than to be one of the twenty to follow mine own teaching. But now let me share with you a story I know well, the story of my father. He was born a very poor white man in the island of Barbados. My mother was born poor. She had nothing. He had nothing. And they proceeded to have children. Twelve children were born. Two died at birth. Ten survived. He had nothing. How he got hold of this I do not know. But the first time he heard me speak in New York City was a Sunday morning. And when we went back to the apartment, he said, you know, everything you said this morning is true. But why do you tell the people to close their eyes? Don't close your eyes. Keep them partly shut. You can control your imagination, and you can control your attention. Better if the eyes are not completely closed. When you see me in the morning after breakfast reclining in my chair, you might think that I am just sleeping it off, because he's a heavy drinker. You might think I'm simply sleeping it off. I am not sleeping off anything. I am doing my day's work then. I bring before my mind's eye the men that I want to deal with that day, and I control the conversation. I tell them exactly what I want to tell them, as though it were true. I let them tell me, confirm that it is true, and then when I am completely satisfied with my inner conversation, then I go to town, and it works that way. Now he started to be now he started behind the eight ball. He had himself, my mother, my grandmother, and the ten of us to feed, plus a few servants. It was not easy. But when he died in nineteen fifty nine he could leave his ten children, because my mother preceded him by many years, and he never remarried. She died in forty one, and he said, no, I've been so blissfully happy with your mother, I could never ever get married again. So he remained single until he died at the age of 85. But when he died, that poor man could leave a family of 10 independently wealthy, each, not just collectively. He gave it to each individually as a block of stock in the company, just to the 10 of us. In 1959, it was then equal to an independent income for each of us. It has tripled since he gave it to us when he died in 1959 under the control of my brother Victor, who practices the same thing. Victor doesn't smoke and he doesn't drink, but he sits alone and in his room he too is carrying on his little inner conversations, premises of desires fulfilled. And he can completely control that imagination of his he can completely control the inner conversation, and things work just as he had determined them. He never goes to church. He's a religious man in the true sense of the word. He gives generously to charity and to all people. You would never know how many people he helps in the island because he doesn't publicize it. That works for him because he has found out inner conversations will do it. So then we are told... To him who orders his conversations aright, I will show the salvation of God. Psalm fifty twenty three. 
then we are told how to do it. Put off your old nature, which belongs to your former conversations. Ephesians 4.22 And you know how, day after day, there are certain people who will run the, some, run the same thing like a record and do it over and over and over. And when you meet them, they start just where they left off the last time that you talked with them. They tell me the same story over and over and over. How rotten she is to me, or how rotten he is to me. And after one solid year, when you return to the city, they take up just where they left off before. Then they wonder, why are these things happening to me? Well, here in the greatest book in the world, we are told why. For if my conversation determines my nature, my nature is that principle upon which I depend for the sameness of forms and transmitted light. How can I change the form when the form is dependent on my inner conversation? So my inner conversation is actually determining the entire thing. But man thinks it was only some external being called God, whose word could not return to him void that it had to prosper in the thing for which it was sent. See Isaiah 55:11. Because he has divorced himself from God. God's name forever and forever and forever is I am. He said, that is my name forever. And by that name I shall be known throughout all generations. Exodus 3:15. Well, before you were given the name John or Mary, you had God's name. God's name is I am. That should precede the name you now use as John. Or should I ask you, what is your name? Before you say John, you are going to say I am, and you are going to say I am John. So you preceded the little mask called John and declared that I am. Well, that's God's name. So that is the one spoken of in Scripture, whose word cannot return void, but must accomplish that which he purposed. It must prosper in the thing for which he sent it. You may say, how simple this thing is. Do you mean I could start tonight? I don't go to church. I'm not a religious person. I have done nothing in the world. But do you mean I have that talent? Is this the being of whom Hermes spoke when he said, God gave a gift to man and to no other creature, and this gift is mind and speech. Well, I can talk and I have a mind, and then he tells me that speech reflects mind, and my mind reflects my speech. To change any production in my world, I've got to change the speech. So, it is simply that the mind reflects it, and the mind reflects God. So my God goes back, then, to my speech. So I am simply reproducing the same old story in my world, when I could easily change the record. Back in 1953, my wife had a vision. It was an audio vision. She jumped out of bed and came into the living room. I always rise early. She came barging through looking for the dictionary. And she said, I've just had the most wonderful experience. I saw nothing, but I heard the most wonderful voice a voice of authority, and the voice said to me, You must stop spending your thoughts, time, and your money. Everything in life must be an investment. So she wanted to see the difference between spending and investing. 
according to the definition in the dictionary that she had at the time. When you spend, you give out without any hope of return. It's a waste to spend. When you invest, you expect a return on equity. When you invest, you always expect a return on your equity. So you must stop spending. And everything you do from now on must be invested. And it is stated what they are, your thoughts, your time, and your money. These are three things that man thinks he has in abundance. And he is spending them morning, noon, and night. He wastes this time in trivia. He wastes his thoughts. He wastes his money. So, if this vision of hers is actually put into practice, and she is the first one to admit that she does not practice it, she was the instrument through which it came. But she would be the first one to admit that, raised as she was, in the most conservative environment. That she doesn't really live it because she lives a restrained life. She would think it only becoming a lady to express herself, well, I would say openly. She feels it and she knows now that she was thinking of saying it. But she restrained the impulse. She said it anyway, and she knows now that her body is an emotional filter and it bears the marks of her prevalent emotions. The old nature belongs to my former conversations. The new nature belongs to my new conversations. Can I put on the new and make it so natural that I will do with that as I did with the former one? And can I now so completely change the record and play it often enough that it becomes a habit within me as I walk the earth so that things are perfect, so that things are easy, so that when I read the headline of a market crash, it doesn't disturb me. So when I read the headline that something has gone to pot, it does not disturb me inwardly. Since this is based upon principle, it doesn't matter what happens in the world because the world is simply the outpouring of the conversations of men and women in the world. If I change my conversation in the midst of a depression, I'm still going to be successful in my world. There are men today that were hugely successful when millions lost so much during the depressed market. They are not concerned about the market. They don't watch the market at all, but they must be controlling their inner conversation. I know in my father's case, he was a living example. My brother Victor is a living example of this technique, but I don't think my father taught it to him. He really got it innately, because he told me that when he saw the sign on a building, that he had the name P.N. Roach & Company. He made it spell J.N. Goddard & Sons. When he confided to my mother, my mother said, Vic, don't do it. We have no money, and it's only going to hurt you. You can never own that building. Two years later, the building was up for sale. The business that was in it failed. A total stranger came in. When I say total stranger, he knew us only as a family, but he had never come to our home for a cup of tea. We were never entertained in his home for a cup of tea, and he was not a drinking partner of my father. He knew him. The day it went up for sale, he came in and said that he would buy it for us. All he would take as collateral was our signature, for we had invested in it, our honesty, and the bank assured him that if we pledged ourselves, we would do it. If we had to starve to pay his note, we would do it. He said, that's all I need. So if you will sign this piece of paper, I'll buy the building. I will have my lawyer bid for it. If I bid for it, they will bid me up. 
but if my lawyer bids for it, he represents more than one client, and they do not know who he represents today. They wouldn't think for one second that a planter, he was a planter, that he would bid for a business on Main Street, which carries groceries. So that day the Goddards owned it, and all we had to give was our signature on that paper that we signed, and he said to reduce the principal in 10 years. And as you reduce it, you simply pay 6% on the principal. If you keep on reducing it every year, in 10 years it must be completely paid off. Well, it was. And when he died 20 years later, he said his greatest friend was Victor Goddard. And then he left him an estate in excess of a quarter of a million, tax-free. Everything was completely paid off when he gave that to my brother Victor. He said, you have been my friend. So I know that today we have at least one member of the family who does put this into practice. I try to the best of my ability to practice it because I get requests morning, noon, and night in my mail asking me to hear this, hear that, and hear the other. I never fail to hear it. I try not to dwell upon it after I have heard it. I must believe that what I have heard must come to pass. As told us in the first epistle of John, in the fifth chapter, if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know we have obtained the request made of him. First John 5.15 What a challenge! If we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, no restraint upon the things we ask for then, we know we have. There's the past tense. We have obtained the request made of him. Read it in the 5th chapter, the 15th verse of the 1st Epistle of John. Well, what a fantastic promise to make to man. I don't have, then, to keep it going. It's like putting the seed down and having full confidence in the planting of that seed. For it contains within itself the power of self-expression. The word of God is like the seed of God, and it is planted at that moment that you actually carry on the conversation. So I bring before my mind's eye the one who asked of me if I know them. If I do not know them, I imagine that I have heard from them. They will not always confirm it, but I imagine they wrote me and thanked me. But as we are told in scripture, there were ten who received the gift. They were all lepers. Only one turned back and said thank you. But the nine went on and they got their help, but never turned back to say thank you. See Luke seventeen twelve through 19. So it doesn't really matter as far as I am concerned. I do my work. They may never write to tell me that it worked, but quite often I meet them, maybe a year later or three or four years later, and they will say, you know, so-and-so happened. I ask them, do you know why it happened? Then they will give me the means that were employed and tell me that is why it happened. Mrs. Archibald Roosevelt, who was just killed in an automobile accident in New York City, she would come home once a month. This was always a problem with her family, never her husband, but her children and in-laws. One day she said to me, my son has returned from Egypt, and he has an enormous beard, and I am so ashamed to walk down the street with him. Here was this young, good-looking lad. Now this was before the hippies, when people began to grow long hair and beards. He was unique. So I said, Mrs. Roosevelt, or so I said, now, Mrs. Roosevelt, you know what a kiss of your son would be like without a beard, don't you? Oh, yes, she said. 
Well, kiss him, and he doesn't have a beard. Put your arms around him and kiss your son, and see the nice, smooth skin and feel it. Well, she said, I'll do it. Well, she never once told me, but because of her position in the world, I read in the morning paper on a Monday morning, it was this big spread of a wedding. He got married on Sunday, a smooth-skinned lad, Mrs. Roosevelt, Archie Roosevelt, the bride, the whole gang of them. When she came the next time, I said, you know, your son has shaped his beard. She said, yes, do you know why? You know, he married a girl who disliked it. Because she completely disliked it, he shaped it off. I said, so that's why it happened? Tell me, Mrs. Roosevelt, did you do what I asked you to do? And I reminded her of, her of what I had asked. She said, oh, yes, I did that. But why he did it was the girl. You see, they always go back to the means employed. The girl could have loved him just as much with the beard. But she had the intuitive, the drive. But she had the intuitive. Or, but she had to initiate the drive. Sorry about that. He shaved it off. And then the mother gave full credit to the girl. Okay, so that concludes part uh, part one of Noble Goddard's lecture, Order Your Conversations Are Right. Thank you so much for joining me for today's episode, and I will see you guys in the next one for part two of Order Your Conversations Are Right. Have a wonderful day.